I'm Kate LaVale. And I'm Michael Vieira. Welcome to this episode of The Canary Group. We've spent our careers working in global strategy, communications, analytics, and intelligence. And if there's one thing we've learned, it's that nothing is ever quite as it seems. With more information than ever, moving faster than ever, it's becoming harder than ever to understand the world around us. So we're on a mission. To combat the tyranny of conventional wisdom. To connect the dots and answer the so what. And empower you to do the same. Welcome to today's episode of the Canary Group podcast. Uh, we are going to be talking about something special and seasonal. Michael? Uh, we're going to talk about gratitude. And when Kate mentioned this, I just knew that that was the subject we had to talk about. There's a lot of things to be gracious. Uh, not, not gracious. Gra- gra- uh, grateful. Sorry. Grateful for. <laughs> you can be gracious too. Right? Yeah. You know, tis the season, Tiny Tim and all that. You know, being grateful, I think. One of the more peculiar coping mechanisms for dealing with hardship is that it can actually make people feel more grateful for what they do have. And that is, I think, kind of where a lot of folks are with 2023, that you're looking and you're taking stock and thinking about, you know, what what has gone right or the silver lining, uh, just because this year has been so terrible. Yeah, so I think I think that thinking about gratitude both at the end of the year when you're reflecting back, but also at the end of this particular year, uh, makes a lot of sense. It's been, it's been rough. (laughs) I would say since, I think since 2020, I think there's been sort of like we, uh, prior to 2020, I would say that we had been sort of like this, uh, this little golden age, maybe, you know, kind of like, you know, what the world was like prior to the first world war. Mm. You know, they always talk about Paris being the city of light and all these things that happened. And then suddenly, you know, the, the, the roof caved in, um, for a lot of people, I think up to about, you know, 2019, things were actually pretty good and looked like we were on a, on an upward trajectory Mm -hmm. globally in a lot of ways. And then suddenly, since then, just everything has been kind of going downhill and not saying that everything that can go wrong has gone wrong because, you know, we're still here, right? But mm-hmm. Oh, there's still plenty more that could go wrong. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, the clock is still ticking on 2023, you know, and you never know what, what, what 2023 might have in store for us. But it would seem just anecdotally from what I've heard from other people and in, in talking with people and even, you know, you and I talking amongst ourselves, that 2023 was particularly rough for a lot of folks this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and unfortunately, when you hear these bad stories, it makes you sort of like look at your own life. And, you know, I think you and I were talking about this. We were talking at like the Bridget Jones kind of like comparatory kind of. <laughs> yeah. For those of you, I don't know if anyone's seen the movie, but when Bridget was like in a Thai prison and she was talking to all of these women, they were there and they were telling her, she she thought she had it rough. And then she was talking to these people and they were telling her their stories. And it was like, wow. And then she realized that she really didn't have it that rough. So that's what happens when I listen to other people's. Yeah. <laughs> Just to jump in there, though, from um, from a psychological perspective, there is something very toxic about comparative grief. So trying to somehow put grief on this 
linear scale and almost compete with, you know, oh, they have it worse than I do. Perspective is healthy, but comparative grief can be really terrible internally for minimizing your own feelings, which are completely justified. So we can all commiserate together and recognize that we're feeling maybe different kinds of pain or sadness, but I'm always, it's always a red flag for me when I hear people saying, well, I don't have it as bad as they do. It just, it sets things up to not necessarily be super healthy. I would say that maybe in this case though, it it ties into being grateful for what you have Mm. and realizing Mm -hmm. it's not, I don't think it's minimizing because I mean, you still live within, you know, you're you're living with yourself and you're living in that situation. But it also though seems to be that you have to look at things and say, I'll go from my my personal experiences, you know, looking at the past year, it's been ups and downs. Uh, And some of the downs have been really down, but at the end of the day, you know, when you hear, you know, other people, what they're going through and everything else, it makes you say, you know, I still have this going for me. I still have that going for me. I'm really, in many ways, I'm still very lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's that sense of, you know, I, I need to be more grateful. I'd have to have a sense of gratitude for the things that I do have. And the old, the old saying, well, it, it, I think you and I were saying this, you know, it could always be worse. And then, yep. you know, then you know, but then, you know, it's like 2023 is like, here, hold my beer. Let's see where yeah, it goes. A hundred percent. And it's being grateful for what you have keeps your head on sort of in the right direction. And it keeps you focused on glass half full perspective is always good, but gratitude is something different than, so there's, there's different definitions or it's operationalized differently. So there's kind of a two-step process, which is, you know, a commonly accepted definition of it is recognizing that one has obtained a positive outcome and two, recognizing that there is an external source for this positive outcome. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that source has to be something tangible. You can be grateful for God, for nature, for fortune, whatever it is, it doesn't, it does not have to be necessarily, you can feel gratitude without it being sort of a direct action. So you can be in a grateful state. And so that's where I think there's just sort of one more uh, differentiation, which is three different types of gratitude. So you can experience gratitude as an effective trait. So if you have an overall tendency to be grateful, uh, I think we all know that there are some people who just sort of sit in a state of gratitude and are really thankful for the things around them and other people who don't even give it a second thought. Uh, and so that's almost, it's, it's a trait rather than a state. Uh, the next one is a mood. So daily fluctuations in your gratitude of I'm feeling grateful right now, but in an hour I won't be. And then there's also gratitude as an emotion. And that's where it's much more temporary. You know, it's the feeling you get after you get a gift. It's the feeling you get after someone does you a favor. Um, you know, that's that's much more fleeting and typically is d- very directed comparatively to, to other types of gratitude. So the more I learn over the course of my life, the less I think there's anything that distinguishes us from the animals. I think we are animals. I know there's some old school thought of humans are humans and then the rest are animals, but we are definitely mammals. And one thing that I think is really interesting is that this idea of reciprocal altruism has been found in all sorts of critters from mammals and chimps to 
vampire bats, fish, birds, this, you know, I, I do something for you because I care rather than there being any direct return on it for me. I'm not quite sure how those studies went down, but <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, but it's interesting too, and that kindness and that gratitude begets kindness and gratitude across species. So just one little, I thought was a really cute study that I read was uh, chimpanzees are more likely to share their food with chimpanzees that have groomed them earlier in the day. So if they've sat there eating their fleas and everything, uh, then they feel closer to them and they're more likely to share, which I thought was adorable. <laughs> yeah, it's really, um, you know, I can't help thinking that gratitude and that sort of reciprocal altruism is also kind of a social almost motor or engine for building trust, which trust is safety. If you're in the animal kingdom and you're looking at surviving, if you have those that you trust that you don't have to worry about, that could even be force maximizers, that is safer than just having no trust with anybody. And so gratitude, I think, plays a very core role in building trust, which builds safety. It's true. I mean, because you have to I don't know, probably all of us have met somebody who, uh, you know, it tends to be the lone wolf, uh, the person who doesn't trust anybody, um, you know, and the person who believes that, you know, everything relies upon themselves. And maybe here in the United States, we also tend to believe, you know, we, we tend to glorify, you know, the person, the person who pulls them up by their bootstraps, um, mm -hmm. the individual over the collective. But, you know, there is, you know, the social aspects where we have to rely on people on a daily basis. And, when people sort of, we don't feel that we can trust people, it definitely makes our lives a lot darker and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't give us a warm fuzzy. And we are, we are social creatures too. So, you know, while there, there are lots of stories of people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, I don't think you could say there's a single one of them that did it without the help or support from somebody else. Uh, you know, we are, yes. you know, whether it's opening doors and networking or funding or, uh, you know, removing from a bad situation, anything like that. There's someone who has done something worthy of gratitude, even for the most independently successful individual. Yes. And it's funny, within groups, I think that, you know, we find, you know, we tend to gravitate, I think, toward, uh, it all depends upon, I guess, your 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 own personality. But we tend to gravitate toward people who are, I think are more agreeable, right? Uh, and so we're, and, and, I don't know. I, I don't really know how to how to express this, but I mean, how do you talk about you know how gratitude builds into sort of like this this team building, or you know how we you know how we as a group how we're getting to be you know better? I think it's. I, I mean, I think it's kind of a biological imperative. Like we have now evolved to a point where, as social creatures, we we have a sort of a, a, a hormonal reward. So your brain changes when you are grateful. They've, there's been quite a few studies done where your brain um, activates in a very unique and consistent way when you're experiencing gratitude. That would suggest that there is a level of evolution um, or an evolutionary component to how we reward gratitude, both personally and experiencing a positive feeling of gratitude. Uh, as well as then also 
making us feel more inclined to then do something worthy of gratitude for others. So to share, you know, to reflect that altruism and to want to, it's not just about trading favors, but it's wanting to show that you care too, you know, and that, that you will give something that may not be in your best interest to somebody else just as they have for you. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of, we do a thing every year at my, my day job where around the holidays, we have a gratitude chain. Uh, we have a pretty big team of outstanding individuals and shout out to any of them listening because I love our team so very much. We pass around an email that's shared within our group that calls out one person who and why we feel so grateful for them and why we think that they're just so awesome. And then it's their responsibility to call out somebody else. And we just keep passing this around kind of like positive chain mail you know, of, of just wanting to make sure that we're taking at least one month a year to just say how, how grateful we are for each other and to make sure people feel appreciated, especially when it's tough. Then it's really important that we are sharing what people mean to us. I think that's how you that's how you keep a group going and succeeding, you know, and th- and striving because there's a lot going on where there might not be nearly the motivation there normally is for that. So being able to express what people mean, um, you know, and how their actions impact us positively. Not only does it feel really great to be grateful, but hearing that people are grateful for you feels just as great. Wasn't it Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, he said, uh, you know, if you want to make yourself feel better, you know, immediately than do something nice for somebody else. I may yes. have missed the, the exact quote or something like that. But yeah, it's something like that. But giving is the best thing you can do for yourself. Yeah, I, I agree. A hundred percent. This is one of the things that I love about this time of year. And I, I understand. I mean, some people don't like the holiday season. Some people like it. I tend to be more in the like category of the holiday season. Um, but it feels good to do something for somebody and not yeah. know who they are. And it's even better, this is gonna sound weird, but it's even better if they don't even know that you did it. And yeah. then, you know, you just did something for them, right? And and you're just kind of hoping that maybe that helps to propel somebody, you know, and give them, you know, a nice day or something right there. Have you ever so a few times I've been in the drive through at Starbucks and I've been caught up in one of those pay it forward yeah, deals where yeah. the car in front pays for the next person's drink. And then that person, like you just keep on passing it back and see how long it can last. And I honestly, it makes my day whenever that happens. It totally makes my day. I've also occasionally, maybe this is just me looking sad. I don't know, but I've been out to eat and just been sitting there reading a book or something and have people just pay for my meal without saying anything. Maybe I just looked like I really needed someone to buy me a meal. I don't know. But it's an incredibly thoughtful and kind of inspiring feeling. And you immediately feel like you want to go do something similar. Like you want to share that and pass it on. It's infectious. It really is. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you talked about that. That happened, I think, earlier this year. I was at a, uh, a drive-through for some place and picking up some things, and they said, "Oh, the person in front of you did this," and I was like, "Well, well, I'll, I'll, I want to do the same thing for the person behind us." Yeah. But what I, what I really enjoyed was how the staff at the at this restaurant how they were reacting to it. Yes. They to really, they were just happy and excited. It lifts it everybody. Happy. 
Yeah. Right. You And I feel like it happens when you least expect it and you never realize how much you need it. You know, where you're just like, oh, humans are good. At least some of them. Like, I needed this lift. Yeah. <laughs> It does. I mean, it does. It does sound like a Coke commercial sometimes. I think we did. We get like a little bit, you know, jaded by life and things like that. But you know, it is. It's inherently one of those things that when you're down and somebody does something for you, or you're just going through life and somebody does something for you that's unexpected, um, because we sure. I guess maybe in you know, many ways too, we've been sort of conditioned to expect that people are out for themselves or they're going to do bad things, right? <laughs> you know, if given a mm-hmm. choice. Uh, so that's what that's what gives you that sense of you know, yeah. We were just having this conversation earlier. Yeah, yeah, and it's okay. it's um, there's this social benefits of gratitude um, sort of approach. That's, I I love it that it sort of helps to mylate the social glue, and they have a cute little device for for explaining that of bind, remind, and bind. And so the function of gratitude, and I'm quoting here, by candidates for quality future relationships. It helps remind people of the goodness of their existing relationships, and it binds them to partners and friends by making them feel appreciated and encouraging them to engage in behaviors that will help prolong their relationships. So this is absolutely something that is pro-social, that makes our connections stronger, and if our group is stronger, then we are stronger. Uh, you know, And that's, I think, very, to me, that's very compelling that this is kind of an evolutionary thing, that gratitude can be a facilitator for a healthy sort of network. Uh, not to get too sterile with my language, but that can make for a very strong, your nodes and your your ties are really strong. There's also the psychological benefits too, which we've talked about a little bit of just how good it feels. Uh, so there's a lot of research on gratitude and how it makes people happier, which seems pretty obvious, Uh, but it also makes them more satisfied with their lives, less materialistic, and less likely to suffer from burnout, which I think is really interesting, especially now where I think a lot of people are feeling pretty overwrought, pretty burnt out. Uh, There there also has been evidence that uh, it helps with various medical and psychological challenges. So uh, one study found that more grateful cardiac patients reported better sleep, less fatigue, and lower levels of cellular inflammation. And another found that heart heart failure patients who kept a gratitude journal for eight weeks were more grateful and had reduced signs of inflammation afterwards. So gratitude is actually improving these people's recovery and health. There's also, of course, a very strong link with reducing depression, which I don't think is surprising that, you know, if you can feel grateful, it uh, can ease your experiences with depression. Uh, And it also uh, can make people more resilient following traumatic events. So uh, it has been called then the mother of all virtues because it encourages the development of other virtues like patience, humility, wisdom, you know, appreciation, all the things that like, it sort of is a trigger for bringing out better components in ourselves, or, you know, better, better feelings and better actions in ourselves. And it really made me think. um, And I think this is an example I do want to make sure we use again, because there's another side to gratitude that's not nearly as positive that I think we need to just talk about in a balanced way. But for now, if you look at following 9-11, 
I think most of our listeners probably remember that vividly, just looking at our demographic skew. Following 9-11, there was this very, you know, it, it was this like the patriotism was just all of a sudden this surge of patriotism of gratitude, especially for first responders, um, really feeling increased unity and thankfulness for what we do have in the face of this horrific tragedy. That, I think, is really compelling for how, in tragedy, gratitude can help us cope. Uh, you know, and you think about the sort of national PTSD that we all experienced in light of 9-11. And I don't use that term flippantly. I mean, there was there was sort of a cultural malaise that sunk in of just, why are we doing this? What's going on? Uh, I think that is one thing that helped pull us through. And you saw a lot of people doing things they'd never done before, like, you know, going and dropping off food at a firehouse or, you know, donating funds or supplies. Um, people who traveled across the country to try to help in some way or another, that was not something they would normally do. Uh, and it, it was almost how they had to cope, how they had, you know, they had to do these sort of grand gestures to process and, and I think at the core of that, it's coping with tragedy by figuring out what you can do to express your gratitude and support. That's a very good point. I was going to, I think a question I was going to ask was, outside of you know things like tragedies like that, but how can we develop, uh, I think, you know, a sense of just gratitude or live in a sense of gratitude? Oh, totally. There's a lot of things. There's actually what I think is really interesting is for most of these kind of experiences and, and habits you want to get into, it can be a, a bit arduous to create new behaviors. This is so easy. It's so easy to tap into your gratitude. And I think it's because it's like right there at the surface. Um, a lot of experts recommend a gratitude journal. You can even buy them that are like ready to just collect your, your gratitude, like they're pre-printed and everything, or you can just use a notebook. Uh, but writing, taking time every day to just write down one to 10 things that you're grateful for. You can also, when with one of the mental processes, when you're feeling stressed and you need to cope, just like some might suggest deep breathing or four square breathing, you can also start just mentally listing what you're grateful for. Uh, and it works. It totally works. It can calm you down and it can also trigger this this sort of, uh, you know, neurotransmitter release to help lower your stress. There's certainly there's been some studies of like you can just have almost like a pen pal. You can have a gratitude pal where for five minutes a day. Or you can now in today's world, you can do this via video, you can do it via email where you share like one to five things that you're grateful for. And you just continually like every day you connect or every week you connect and just because studies have shown that if you just tell someone what you're grateful for, without having to explain it without them reacting in any way, you still get that boost. I think it's very easy to tap into gratitude. All you have to do is think about it. How that then manifests in your world, I think just depending, you know, it depends on the person. Like some people are very active at writing thank you notes. Uh, that's something that 
certainly expresses gratitude and it's kind of standardized that whenever someone does something nice, you write a thank you note. Other people, you know, not to get into your love languages, but other people will give gifts to say, you know, to show their appreciation. Um, but I think, I think working on your gratitude muscles is as easy as just recognizing that you're grateful. You know, it's funny. Uh, one of the things that I've been trying to do for, uh, for years now has been to tell people when they do something or you see them doing something positive is to turn around and say, you know, I really like what you did there. I appreciate yeah. what you did, you know, uh, because I think we tend to kind of like live within ourselves and you see somebody mm -hmm. do something good and you say, oh, that was a good thing that person did there. But without actually that positive reinforcement, I don't know if people necessarily, some people are going to continue to do good things without, you know, positive reinforcement. But I think that with positive reinforcement or people noticing something, because like I said, you know, people will sometimes do things and there was with no intention of getting any sort of, you know, feedback on that sort of thing. Uh, but it does feel good. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I was, uh, was grocery shopping with my daughter. This was years ago when she was very little, and uh, this one is you know she still had to sit in the, uh, in the in the seat in the cart and stuff like that. You know we were at one of the counters and we were buying things, and I was talking to her and I was explaining things and sharing things, and we were having like our little stories. And then this person came up to me and said, you know, I really like how you talk with your daughter. I really like how you're you know talking with her and doing this whole thing with her. And I was like, well, we're just at the grocery store, but. It made me feel and it made me then aware that this was a positive thing that had probably bigger ramifications uh, just beyond yeah. just her and I, but also other people, you know, watching this type of thing. Um, my gosh, I mean, because when you see the opposite, when you see somebody who's having a full, you know, full blown meltdown in public with somebody, uh, you know, you remember <laughs> that too. And it doesn't make you feel very good, right? Uh, you know, that type of thing No, happens. no, it doesn't. But if you look at like even the videos that, you know, trend on social media of, you know, there's the motorcyclist, the big bad motorcyclist who pulls over to help a kitten or an old lady cross the street. And you get that same sense of, of thankfulness and of, you know, positivity about humanity. So even just, you know, even just like those kinds of videos can have that effect. But I think you're absolutely right that putting that positivity out into the world, it's so important to recognize it because one, positive reinforcement is way more effective than negative reinforcement and way, way more effective than punishment. So just telling people that they're doing a great job when they're doing a great job is beneficial. It makes them want to do more great jobs. But then also you don't know who else is watching. Uh, and you don't know the impact it can have on them because that second degree and third degree sort of witnessing of gratitude, as we know, is really still very impactful. Uh, and so it's, you know, I think it's it's really compelling the more we can put that out there and make it visible uh, to to share. And for me, I do kind of always pressure myself to be vulnerable and open with my, especially my positive feelings. So being honest, but also I don't know that I grew up in, in sort of a social group where there was a lot of positivity that was said. It was more like, don't do this <laughs> rather than you did a great job at this. And I don't know that it creates, it doesn't really create the drive to continue to try to do great things when you don't hear it. And so I've always tried to be very open with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers about how impressed 
I am with them and how they're doing so many great things. And, you know, it just, it wows me that they can do these things that seem virtually impossible and to put that positivity out there with the hope then that one, they feel more confident, but also that they're, you know, they feel like they can trust me and they feel like they can, you know, they can look to me to be honest, but also not just critical, you know, and I think, I think we have a lot of, I don't want to say criticism, criticality. The world is full of critics right now. And I think being a really, I don't think being a critic is is bad at all. Uh, I'm a very critical person, but in my ever increasing age, I feel like we have to also balance that with a level of honesty that you can be critically positive too, of like, holy shit, that was amazing. I think that is just as important as being sort of negatively critical. I've got a weird story to share. And it's just because you just made me think about that, like finding the small things in your world that you like or things that you know give you a sense of, I think, that all is well in the world. And one of those is... Um, and maybe you share it or maybe you don't, but it's shopping carts. Um, and you're thinking, oh, where is he going with this? It says everything but, about a person. But uh, one of the things was is that like Target redid their shopping carts and got these new shopping carts that are just smooth. It's like pushing on glass. And every time I go like there butter. and I'm pushing. Hey, I'm Augie. Pushing our, um, <laughs> oh, you heard our cat? Yeah. Oh, the, the door <laughs> may be closed and he may want to get out. Um, He's got a lot we'll to say. Yeah. He does. He, he's grateful for, for having us. But I mean, when uh, when I first discovered that, you know, Target had these beautiful shopping carts and just how they roll around. And I'm like, I'm grateful every day that I have a shopping cart that doesn't wiggle. And when I go to someplace like Walmart, where most of them are pretty beat up and sad, when I get one. Oh, hold on one second. I got to let the cat out. Cause, hold on one second, folks. We'll be back to talk about shopping carts in a second. Merry Christmas. There we go. Merry Christmas. August was very grateful that I let him upstairs so he could join with the rest of the family. Yeah, I didn't hear him say thank uh, you, though. He did in his own cat way. He said, yeah. Oh, okay. So, okay. Good. Um, back to, you know, shopping carts. You know, when I go to a place like Walmart that has mostly bad shopping carts, some of them are like a struggle pushing, right? You might as well mm-hmm. be pushing a rock. Uh, but you get one, that one in a million cart that's really, you know, very smooth <laughs> and you feel grateful. And when I'm leaving... I will then want to pass that card off to somebody else. I'll say, do you need a card? They're like, yes. Mm-hmm. I say, take this one. It's, it, it rides beautifully. And it's like, hopefully that made that person's microsecond a little bit better, right? So That's, you know, that's funny because Aldi's are known for having the shopping cart. Do you go to Aldi's ever? Oh, yeah, yes. We love Aldi's. Love Aldi's so much. But they've got the quarter that you put in the shopping cart to get you to then return the shopping cart to get your quarter back. Yeah. And like, right. it's always such a high point when you can hand your cart to somebody else and like know that you're not getting your quarter back, but you're doing them a solid and it's totally worth it. Right. 25 cents. There, yeah, it's very. There's a lot to be said about incentives and the role incentives play in in facilitating specific behaviors. But being able to buck the system and give your cart, even at a loss of twenty five cents, is really a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that, you know that has happened a couple of times too. You have that. We'll call it all the altruism, I guess. Yeah, altruism. No. All, all, Alderism or maybe Alderism, but Alderism. Uh, I'm 
I'm reasonably tall, and one thing that I generally, what happens when I'm going through like a place is that people will usually ask me if I could get something from a top shelf, and mm-hmm. I always feel good about that too. It feels like you know I'm using my height for good, not evil, mm-hmm. right? Just, yeah. Uh, no one ever asked me to get something off the top shelf for them. It's weird. <laughs> it's like my, well, the funny thing is, is that my, my in-laws, my Japanese in-laws have been with us since November. It's now December. They'll be here till January. So they're, they're living with us right now full time. Um, and I've noticed, though, that uh, my Japanese mother-in-law and I, we do a lot of things together. We cook together. We clean together. You know, we go for walks. We do things. But I, I always want to tell her the good things that she's doing. You know, I want to say because it's not really part of Japanese culture to really to kind of do that sort of thing to talk mm-hmm. about it. So I do that, and she'll she'll say, "Oh, it's too much. It's too much. You're you're thanking me for things." But I'm like, "No, you need to hear these things mm-hmm. because I think ultimately, I hopefully it's positive that we appreciate her that she's here and yeah. she's doing things. You know, and it's just as important for you to be able to say those things and to express that gratitude. I think you know you benefit as much as she does from sharing that, and it's good for you to express your gratitude. It helps you expressing her gratitude just as hopefully she on some level likes hearing it. I do know people can get somewhat uncomfortable when they're, especially for folks who are not down with being super vulnerable and open, but I say, get used to the discomfort, embrace it, lean in. There's good stuff on the other side, but. Well, it's like if you've ever taken part in a small group, you know, and talking with people, men and women that you may be talking with. Um, I did something like that about a month ago where we were meeting with a group of, of men you know, over seven weeks and talking about certain things. Um, and uh, these men were, these were guys who were like working in the trades and they were very, very, but they were very vulnerable. They were coming up and talking about things that they were in their life. And several times I wanted to just tell them and say, hey, I really appreciate you and talking about the things that you're talking about and the things that you're doing. Because for men, we tend to basically downplay a lot of things. We're like, hey, it's not a big deal. I'm just mm-hmm. doing this sort of thing. I'm just out there. But, you know, but they need to hear that they're doing good things, especially when they are doing good things and they're doing the difficult things. And, you know, and when you see people that are doing a difficult job, you know, and you tell them, hey, it's like the person who delivers the mail in our neighborhood. I saw them during like during COVID. I would always go for a walk and I would see the mail person. and I would always wave to her and say, hey, hi. And finally got to talk to her probably like two years later. And she told me, she said, she called me the Kool-Aid man. And I was like, so, I, you know, like because I was always smiling and just had energy and I would always wave to her. And that just kind of made her day. Me, when I think of Kool-Aid man, I think of a guy who's breaking through walls, right? So mm-hmm. that's you know, like a demolition guy. But, but I took that positively. I was like, yeah, I'm the Kool-Aid man. So now when I see her, I think of myself as the Kool-Aid man. It's my job to basically be that. That picture of sunshine, that's just like, you know, waving. (laughs) Michael, you will always be my Kool-Aid man. It's true. Thank you. There you go. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There is, though, I I do want to make sure that we are giving, maybe not equal time, but we are acknowledging that there are some, there is a dark side to gratitude. Uh, So brace yourself because, you know, I can't stay sunshine and roses for too long. It just... I start to melt. It just isn't us. It isn't our podcast. No. There's got to be some doom. This is is the Doomsday Podcast. We need to make sure we're bringing the doom. That's right. There are, some of these are going to get a little theoretical. Obviously, research comes from academics and academics like to 
sit and think big thoughts. There's also, I think, a level of, I don't want to say politics. Maybe it's like like cultural politics woven in here. So I'm not saying I'm totally on board with all of this, but Hmm. it's certainly worth talking through some of these. So harmful gratitude. Within abusive relationships, gratitude can be really dangerous and toxic. Uh, you know, for to convince someone that they are nothing without you and they should be grateful to have you, that's not good. So we're putting that in the negative column uh, that gratitude as a control mechanism and as an abusive tactic, not good. (laughs) Uh, So that one's an easy one. I think we can all get on board with that. There's also system justification problems. And this is where I want to bring up 9-11 again. Because, and this this might be a little, I think it could be a, a little political, but go with me here. Okay. So you can be grateful. We can be grateful following 9-11 that we were able to ramp up militarily and go and attack, you know, a group in a country that was responsible as well as a country that wasn't responsible for 9-11. However, using that gratitude as a way to mobilize patriotism and to mobilize to military action and support for military action, I think especially when you get to Iraq, this is where it gets really fuzzy, that that gratitude and patriotism was leveraged for nefarious ends. And while it's a lot more complicated than that, I think that that is where if you are not looking your your, your grateful horse in the mouth and making sure that it's something you should be grateful for, it can be a dangerous thing. So just blind gratitude is not always a good thing. So that's going to go in the negative column too. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that, I I completely agree. Who was it that said that, was it um, Mencken who said that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel? And and, Mm -hmm. and or was wait was that Marx? No, I don't know if it was Marx. Maybe I I, I don't think it was Marx, but I think it was somebody with an M in their name, maybe. But uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Somebody with an with, M somewhere in their name. Sure, <laughs> M something or other. M somebody. I was in the military uh, before nine eleven, and then got out, and then I was in the military after nine eleven, and the difference of people's engagement with the military was a lot different. Um. And I always still feel uncomfortable when someone says, thank you for your service. It happens occasionally. Mm-hmm. It's like I, you know, I didn't necessarily do this job because I was looking for someone to tell me thanks. It seems more pro forma. I feel like people feel like they're obligated to say something like that. And that makes me think that that's kind of uncomfortable. You know, I don't think that it shouldn't have to be that way. Um, I, not that I don't want people to be apathetic, uh, but I just don't think that it's, it sort of seems to me almost like a way for people to say something and then not have to really engage in, in anything else about it. Right. So sort of like, anyways, that's you know, when I look at that and I think it's, you can mobilize people to kind of get into a sort of a group thing. And it's not just for war, but it's like a bunch of other things. You can get them to kind of like, you know, get behind something or say something. I mean, there's mm-hmm. these days, there seems to be so many things that we expect people to sort of like, you know, to, to parrot or to mouth, you know, out, out loud about certain things. Yeah. You're seeing right now with the current uh, conflict in uh, between the Palestinians and the Israelis, you're seeing people are very much drawing very lines everywhere, you know, and what do you mm-hmm. mean by that, you know? Um, 
in some ways though it's very hard to show <laughs> it's very hard to show gratitude i guess in a situation like that right so i think psychologically though i think you know people are kind of yeah yes there's a tendency i think to kind of use certain things whether it's an abusive relationship or whether it's to basically to drum up support for a for a possibly uh dubious <laughs> dubious military adventure or you know whatever you believe in and i think there's a blurry line between you know altruistic gratitude or even soliciting gratitude for altruistic purposes versus having a motivation and using that gratitude as leverage. That yes. is, I think at a certain point, by definition, it would stop being gratitude and it would start being manipulation. Right. Uh, that said, I think the feeling would be gratitude that people felt to go along with it. And so it's just important to, you know, eyes wide open on that one. By the way, Samuel Johnson was oh, Samuel uh, Johnson. the first. Yes. Yeah. Not even an M in so, sight. Oh my gosh. Yes. You're no right. M whatsoever, except Samuel. So maybe that's what we were thinking of, although mm. I highly doubt it. I thought it was um. like uh, HL Menken. I thought I thought it was like HL Menken <laughs> who said that, but maybe that was that's what I was thinking of. But no, Samuel Johnson, that's yeah, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm grateful for you for looking that up. Thank you. So. <laughs> Thank you, Google. I'm grateful for you. Oh, the Google, yes. There's also the non-identity problem, and this these just get harder to explain with each level, but go with me here. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, and I'm not quite clear on the, the naming of it because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but this is the challenge of being grateful for going through hardship to get you where you are. Uh, so you are grateful that to come out of World War II and live the American dream and get your medals, but also get a job and a wife and kids and a family, and you're grateful that you went to war uh, and horrific things happened to get you where you are. The problem is you're grateful for terrible things happening. You're grateful for genocide. You're grateful for, you know, so many horrible things that, and I think this is where this gets very theoretical and a bit a bit much because you can be grateful for the hardships because they built your character and who you are. You can also be very grateful that it's over and you can wish that you never had to do it. And I don't think those things are necessarily mutually exclusive. And this would imply that they are. But so I'm just, I'm not yeah. sold on this. I understand. I understand the theor the, the theoreticals on this uh, and I can see it because I I would say that 9-11 certainly changed my life into a different direction, and I'm grateful mm -hmm. for things that I've done and experienced. But I have moments of reflection or sometimes talking with people I said it was a darn shame that a lot of people had to die in order to give me a new career, you know, or move me in a career thing. And it sounds flippant, but it's not. I mean, I, I do think about that. But at the same time, I mean, out of adversity, uh, you know, you are – you know, you're making lemonade, right? You know, life's giving you lemons, you're yeah. making lemonade out of it sort of a thing. So I don't know if I feel, you know, one of the things I thought you were going to talk about was like Stockholm syndrome. Oh, there's that too. Although that just seems like that's all toxic. Yeah, exactly. That's a bad relationship. That is a very bad relationship. I have a friend who I worked with at a company, you know, maybe three companies, four companies ago. And the the overall i would say there was a pretty toxic uh leadership that you know ran this place but he was thinking about leaving and going to another place and i remember um the the president of the company pulled him in said you know, you know why would you want to leave you know we've made you into what you are and you know you're never going to find anything better than this place and it was kind of like i told him afterwards i said 
you know, this is, if this was a relationship, I would tell you to get out of it, right? <laughs> well, it is a relationship. So mm-hmm. you know, and this person now is yeah. at this other company and they've been there for almost a decade. And I think that they've, they've done really well. And I'm just like, aren't you glad you made that? You didn't listen to this person yeah. and let them tell you those types of, you know, mm-hmm. but then, you know, sometimes, I don't know. I mean, I guess we've all been there. You know, the, there's the other side, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Right. And yeah. you go there and find out it isn't. Um, maybe it was, <laughs> then you come back and then you're like, I'm grateful for what I had. I've had that happen to me a few times. Yeah. And, but I think there's also like a level of, I'm blanking on a very obvious word right now, but not jealousy, but envy, envy, envy. envy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I could, there wasn't an M in that one either. Um, no, MV. but I think that, <laughs> I think that's sort of the other side is when you can be grateful I think it does kind of counter any impulses towards envy because one, you are thankful that your glass is half full. You're thankful for what you have. You're thankful for other people and their strengths and their experiences. And you're thankful for them having a positive impact. I think that does combat envy where you're jealous of other people. You're, you know, they do this or they have this or they get all the advantages. And instead you can focus on, what you do have, you can focus on what is good for others. Uh, and, and so it is, you know, it's a, it's a nice way to combat one of the seven deadly sins, just tool in your tool belt. Wait, envy is a deadly sin, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. I'm like having like a little mini, like my brain is shutting down now. I can't think of anything. What's the holidays? So, I mean, you're getting down to the end of the year, you know, it's more than justified to say that, you know, everybody is kind of like, you know, kind of they're running on the, the, on the, on fumes right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've had a very long year, so it's been. <laughs> it has been a very long year. And I even, I, I got to recording late just to share what lack of gratitude can do to a person. I arrived late to record today. Because I was out there in the field trying to chase down my horse to medicate her eyeball because she had to go and skewer her cornea again on the same eye. I was out there with all of her medicine trying to find her in this really large field that has lots of lots of visual you know, blockages. And I was walking all over the place looking for her and was she grateful that I was trying to help her get out of pain and heal her eyeball? No, she hid from me. And she played keep away once I did find her. And so I was really late today because by the time it was time to record, I was about a mile away from the computer and she still wasn't coming anywhere near me because she's ungrateful. (laughs) And that really has brought me down and I am bitter. And I know I said that animals can experience gratitude. Not this one. Oh, no. Not Sadie. No, no. Well, it's it's just because it's she's equating you coming to giving her something that's uncomfortable, right? You're like, she's going to put that ointment in my eye. And so therefore, there's nothing positive about this. There's lots of treats. But after you put the medicine, like give her the painkiller in her mouth, then... She doesn't trust your anything you're putting in her mouth because it tastes terrible. And then she smells the gloves on your hand. And dear God, that's just a no, no go. Like there's so many terrible things about this. And it's like the second time it's happened where the, the first time it was months of having to medicate her eye like six times a day 
for months. She had to get it debrided. It was just disgusting. We did save the eye, though, at an extreme cost that she also wasn't grateful for. So now this is the same eye that I hope we'll be able to save again, but she's not being nearly as cooperative. And honestly, I'm bitter. I'm bitter and resentful. Uh, well, that's maybe that's something else, too, that when you're doing things and you're not appreciated, you know, what does that mean? You know, you're doing you're doing exactly right you're doing things that have to be done and you're not being appreciated. But you have to tell yourself that you're doing what needs to be done. Right. But what, where's that come in, you know, into something like that where uh, there is a, a distinct lack of gratefulness? Yeah. And I think when you feel taken advantage of, when you feel like people aren't thankful for what you give, then that's an imbalance that needs to probably be addressed. And we go through life feeling underappreciated and feeling like, you know, all that we do is not recognized. And so from a psychological standpoint, what you can do is try to focus on you filling up your own gratitude cup. So I, I, I do think that you have to focus on filling up your own cup, being recognizing that you are grateful to have the opportunity to step up, that you don't necessarily have to wait for the approval or the, you know, the acknowledgement of others and focus on, you know, how do you feel? Because that's all you can control. I think all of life is basically how do we figure out how we focus on what we can control? And I mean, it's basically Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, how do we let go of our expectations of others? Because there's just nothing we can do about it. All we can do is try to regulate how we process things. And that's so much easier said than done. But I have another negative, (laughs) negative, uh, or I guess application of gratitude, which is called the slave foreman problem. There are ethical problems with feeling gratitude towards folks who are themselves giving aid that is costly, valuable, and altruistic, but who are also cogs within an oppressive regime. So if you are a prisoner and you have a guard that is kind to you, who is still a guard and is keeping you imprisoned, can you be grateful if they are part of a system that is oppressing you while personally being somewhat kinder or going to some extent to to help you? Again, I do think that this is like, this is getting a little out there of like, well, you can be grateful that they are kinder to you while still having a problem with the system. And I think, you know, if you're in prison for something that you deserve, then that's different. But if you are in prison for some undeserved reason, then it becomes even more offensive, uh, which I think is why they went with the still problematic slave foreman nomenclature. But so if you have a foreman who is keeping you enslaved and his job is to make sure you don't escape and to make sure you're doing your work, but he is kind to you. Can you really be grateful or is it problematic? And I think you could argue really either way. I guess if you were looking at it strictly from the, uh, the, the one-to-one, I mean, not if you're stripping away, you know, the, the actual situation, right. Um, you know, someone showing kindness to another person or, or being consistently kind, I guess I would look at it as a positive because I think the situation, let's look at it from a situation too that, you know, I did see this is a slippery slope. It's very slippery. And are they, are they creating a good example to try to like soft sell right, this right. problematic structure? Like it's, it, it's well, complicated. I mean, well, I mean, you could take it and you could take it to a lot of different things, 
But I would say that being uh, showing humanity, uh, I think, is usually a positive thing. If it's being used now, I mean, if this if this person is beating people, but you know, letting them have you know extra water so they don't dehydrate, I don't think that that's a positive thing, right? But I mean, if you have somebody who's you know, if somebody you know understands what the system is and they're and they're not happy with it, but by circumstance you're in it and you're doing it, and you're trying to do the best job you can. I don't know. I'm sure people are going to be upset with that too. It's like you shouldn't be part of anything that's anything like that. But sometimes I think it can it can almost sneak up on you or like you don't realize you are until you really, really are and have gone too far. Like looking at even the Stanley Milgram prison experiments. Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't realize your role until what is it? You can't judge or write history until it's been like 100 years or something. Just like it can only be understood in the past tense because when you're in it, it doesn't make that kind of sense. The narrative isn't nearly as clear. Well, Ian Kershaw had talked about that. Yeah, it's very challenging to always see yourself. You know, if you look at in no way, shape or form, am I justifying the Nazis here, just to be abundantly clear. But it was gradual. It wasn't something that happened overnight. And people's turning the other cheek on some things that were objectionable led to other things, but it was gradual. It wasn't like they were deciding they were going all in on this. And then by the time really severe things were happening, and I wasn't there, so I don't want to. I don't want to say this was always the case, but in a lot of instances, by the time things had gotten completely out of control, they had sort of gotten that tacit consent on a million little steps before to lead to this big offense, or to lead to people to turn the other, you know, to just turn away and ignore it and pretend like it's not happening, or to be complicit in it, or to participate. But none of it was like this black or white overnight thing. And Michael, you are the historian here, so please disagree with me if I'm wrong there. I don't want to be wrong about any of this, but it's death by a thousand cuts. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. It's it's that's why I mentioned Ian Kershaw because he had studied one of his early works was to study. He went to Bavaria and, and uh, you know the sort of like the birthplace of national socialism and mm-hmm. and uh, talked to a lot of Germans who had lived during that period of time and. His, he came back, he said, you know, I'd like to think that if I was there at that period of time, I would have been like an active opponent of the regime. But the reality is, he's yep. just talking about himself. He said, I would most likely have just quietly gone along with things and gone along yep. with things. And that's how I think a lot of people really are. I mean, we, we don't mm-hmm. really want to upset the boat. And you can see things, anything that's really uh, divisive right now, I think that a lot of people would like to just basically not be, they don't want to be seen as... Uh, radical. They don't want to be seen as going against something. They don't want to elicit a very negative response from people. So they want to appear to be as neutral or to be as, what's the word I'm looking for here? Gosh, we're having trouble finding those correct words. Yeah. But, but not appearing to be threatening in any way, I guess, and just being... Uh, or objectionable. Um, yeah. Like, don't yeah, don't rock the boat. boat. Just go, right. you know, go with the flow. Sure. All of the colloquialisms. <laughs> but right. yeah, it's not something... You know, if you see something very stark, if you see a child being beaten in the streets by police, if you see a man killed by police, and this is going to be like a super third rail example, so I apologize in advance, but it is very clear that you can take steps to stop that. That is not good. That is bad and requires intervention. However, if you see 
you know, just minor steps to disenfranchise an individual or group over time, you're not aware as much, you know, but again, going back towards gratitude, uh, you know, I think, again, it's about being aware that, you know, blind gratitude is just as dangerous as blind anything else, Uh, you know, paying attention and really putting things in perspective and, you know, turning them around to look at different angles of an issue are important. And that's to me, especially with what's going on um, with Israel and Hamas is the nuance. It This is a highly nuanced situation. It requires textured understanding. And there's so much just black and white, sort of very simple headline point of views out there right now that there's no sense to be made. And people aren't looking at necessarily like the long term, you know, but, but it's, and I know I said I'd get back to gratitude, so I'm going to try again. But I think that it is very much a matter of being self-aware and being aware that, you know, making the choice to put positivity into the world and to limit negativity in the world when you can, you know, to be true to what you believe is right. Uh, recognizing that what you believe and what somebody else believes they are not exactly the same uh, and and being respectful of that. Yeah. There are a few other personality characteristics where gratitude can be problematic. <laughs> if you want to just go a little bit further on this this side of things. Sure. Um, so if we're looking with schema therapy, there's like these different ways of viewing the world where people have these mental shortcuts that they use to understand things. And so there's kind of these different typologies of schemas that I think there's like 18 of them that people can you that people use to understand the world around them. And so within those 18 typologies, there's like these shortcuts that are like, oh, they're always like this, or this is always like this, or this is how the world works. And so that's why this is happening. Some people have very like power centric. It's all about power. Other people are more about how to, you know, how to give. Um, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it, but there are some of those components where you see gratitude uh, perhaps not engaging in the most positive way. So people with like maladaptive self-sacrifice schemas who feel they have to put others' needs before their own, gratitude can be really complicated. If the only way that you can feel okay is by putting other people's needs before your own, um, you are grateful when they recognize anything but you're also, you need their recognition. You need their gratitude. And it's it's more about almost self-worth than it is about actual gratitude of being grateful for someone. You're more along the lines of being grateful for being acknowledged. There's also subjugation schemas where people don't feel safe to express their preferences and needs in the first place. And so they'll sort of, they'll swallow them. Um, that's another place where gratitude can be very complicated because of the fact that your your own needs, your own priorities, your own values are not necessarily being discussed in that interaction. Uh, and then finally, people with dependency schemas who think they can't function autonomously in a world without uh, leaning on people who are more powerful than them. That's another area where gratitude gets kind of uh, tricky because... Again, it's that power dynamic that if you feel less than, is your gratitude really gratitude? 
or is it sort of a hegemony in a way? And so, yeah, so I think it's just, those are, those are some of the areas where we have to be careful, but long story short, I think we need to recognize where we sit in the world. When we feel gratitude, why are we feeling it? To really understand different perspectives, to keep an open mind, you know, and to be, to be accepting of others and their own experiences and perspectives while also keeping a critical eye on, you know, your own values. No pressure. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, that's a lot to unpack, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing there is as you were, as you were listing these things, I'm going through my own mental checklist and thinking, well, maybe that's, that sounds familiar, you know, and wondering about certain things. And, you know, because it's true too, that when you're dealing with different cultures, they have, I think, different ideas about being grateful. Uh, they have different mm. ideas about expressing those types of things. And I had mentioned earlier that, you know, I, I, effectively i'm living in a japanese household because i'm there's more japanese in my household than there is me so but it's different about how they do things uh but i find that one of the things that i'm doing is trying to express to them more gratitude because they may not hear that on a day-to-day basis or they may not be part of you know what they get from their culture and they'll say things like well it's more of an implied you know we well we just imply everybody understands you know the rules here and i'm like but do they right because you know when someone actually comes up to you and tells you something doesn't matter you know you're still getting some sort of reinforcement about what's going on uh i think you know and what you're doing and you're letting them know that you appreciate it but there is sort of like a there's a very big part i think in japanese society about sacrifice and you know you just do it because you know you need to do it and that's the thing i like to tell people you know hey i appreciate what you're doing yeah you're 100 percent right there are cultural differences there are demographic differences Uh, Obviously, people who score high on religiosity and spirituality typically experience gratefulness more frequently. Uh, You've also got the cultural influences, as you're mentioning. So in a study of men, uh, and men typically do feel gratitude less than women, men in the U.S. experience gratitude less frequently than those in Germany. Another study found that American, Brazilian, Chinese, and Russian children differed in the ages and extent to which they expressed different forms of gratitude. So sort of the way that you adopt it and start using it depends quite a bit on culture. There's also, and this is one that I think is really interesting, there's the parental influence. And this is, I don't know if this will change over time as sort of social mores shift, but uh, there was a study that fourth and fifth graders and their biological parents there was a statistically positive relationship between self-reported gratitude of the children and the mothers, but not the fathers. So children will pick up the same level of gratitude, give or take, you know, there's this, this is not a causal relationship and it's not a huge, it's not like a given, but there is a significantly higher uh, propensity for children to pick up their mother's perspective on gratitude and, and use and experience and sort of trait as well around gratitude, but not their dads, which I think is very interesting. I do wonder if that's going to change over time as we move further away from that traditional family dynamic and you've got dads, you know, with an equal chance of being in the house. And certainly, you know, it seems more acceptable to talk about your feelings and to, to be more mental or emotionally available, I should say. There's a lot there 
to unpack. And you also see that there's a wide variety of ages. I think I sort of touched on this a little bit within the the different cultures, but there is a very wide range of ages at which children and adolescents start to exhibit gratitude. And that has been shown to be a very complicated sort of phenomenon to unpack. So there is no sort of given, it's not like your language acquisition device where, you know, at three, you're at the peak of learning language or anything like that. I don't know that it's three, but with, with gratitude, it's, it's a much less well-defined process to becoming grateful. But I think in a way there's that opens the possibility that you can be grateful, you can learn gratitude and you can benefit from gratitude probably at any point in life. So it's not necessarily something that you have to like develop once and then that's how you're going to be. It's not fixed like that. To go back to something you had said earlier, because it, it, it really struck a chord with me and it was like how gratitude is an antidote to envy. And I think about that. Uh, I, I think about that constantly. You know, you you are surrounded by things that remind you of the things you don't have or the things that you oh, are yeah. right. Uh, but if you have a certain sense of gratitude, or if you can lack envy, it makes your life a lot better. You know what yeah. I mean? It's impossible not to have ambition, you know, and it's impossible not to have some sense of looking at things and, and looking at maybe the unfairness of life or something like that. But envy is such a terrible thing. And I, I'll i be honest with you, I'm very, very lucky. I mean, I may have a lot of faults, but one of them is not having an envious nature. Mm-hmm. And I look at people with their things and I'm happy. It, it, who was it who said, was it uh, was it Gorbadal who said, uh, every time a friend of mine succeeds, a little piece of me dies? It cracks me up. I mean, that 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 cracks me up. That but sounds horrible. That's no that. way to live. <laughs> oh no, but I mean, but I mean, but ask yourself. I mean, if, if that's you know something that happens Mm-mm. to you, or when you see somebody who you know somebody in your life, or you see somebody who's succeeding, do you feel happy for them? And if you honestly can feel happy for other people's success, I think that that's you know that's and an, that's another antidote to to envy. And if more people were like that, we may have a lot less of the the problems and strife that we have. Um, but it's, you know, it's the world we live in, right? I mean, people are going to be like, you know, people are going to be envious. But that's interesting. I, I would say just to self rate, I'm a very, I'm a very grateful person. I think about, mm. you know, how lucky I am and how fortunate I am to have the things and the people in my life that I do. And the opportunities, I just feel so grateful and fortunate you know, and it, my entire life, I feel like is based on the kindness and the goodness of others. And so I carry that with me a lot. I'm also highly competitive. And so there, I have struggled at times with that comparison of like, oh, are they getting more than I am? Are they at an advantage? Are they doing better than I am? Like, I don't want to see them being more successful than me. And I have found over time, the more I get to know an individual, the happier I can be for them. If it's someone who I don't know very well, who's being successful, then I think I'm more likely to feel threatened. But if I get to know them and realize how, you know, how every individual has some awesome things to to offer the world, and I can appreciate, you know, their unique humanness, that makes it so much easier to kick the envy and really lean into how happy I am for them. them. And my gratitude and how I've, you know, my network grows in value when they do awesome things 
because I get to know this awesome person. But that has come with time and maturity too. I think, you know, when I was younger, I was just viciously competitive. Now I'm like, there's enough to go around. We're all good. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but I do think it's, I think it's about understanding that we're, we all have our crosses to bear. We're all dealing with something and life is just too damn short to focus on, you know, what you don't have that somebody else does. But I do think that there is a very core desire to know what other people have. I don't think you'd have lifestyles of the rich and famous and MTV cribs be as popular as they are. I'm probably dating myself. I'm sure there's like a more recent example, but you, you wouldn't have, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you can give a little historical lesson if you want, Michael. No, no. I was just, I was just going to say that for people who aren't, this is something from, this is like an eighties, nineties reference for those who may be too young to know what we're talking about. Oh, blast from the past. But no, but that is like those shows would not have been nearly as popular. You wouldn't have like Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop or the Kardashians and you can buy a piece of their lifestyle and it makes them even richer. But like you wouldn't have that level of success in those things if there wasn't a desire to somehow get a taste of what's what the other half has, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like this time of year. That's one of the reasons why I think I like Christmas and that's why I like the holiday season is because it it's an overt reminder. Yes, I mean there are excesses and there are things I'm sure that like I said earlier there was probably a lot of people who this may not be the best time of year for them. We have uh, you know an opportunity I think to we could you know we're human beings. We can't be 365 24/7 all the time, right? But you know this gives us an opportunity to try to be better, to try to be more grateful for the thing things that we have um I'll, I'll give you like a little story it's like you know I, I i tried to cook a a special christmas dinner um and it was something that my mother had made and it's something that i'm doing and it's some of it's because it brought very good memories to me but it was also something that kind of honored my mother's memory because you know she passed on about my gosh it's been six years seven years mm. hard to believe but putting in the effort for that and seeing people sitting down and being able to enjoy the meal that you've made and be together in community, uh, it's just a wonderful feeling. You know, last year we invited, I gosh, I think we had like 16, 17 people wow. in the house. It was a bit crowded. Yeah, it was a bit crowded. But I really appreciate it. This year, well, we won't have nearly as many, but we're still going to have, you know, a sizable group of people here to, to break bread with us. And, but I look at that and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to give them the meal and to have them here and and have them to be happy. And that fills me with this, just a, this overwhelming sense of just happiness. You know? Yeah. That just gives me this thing that I look forward to. Um, it's work, right? And it's, you know, there's, there's sacrifice and work that goes into this, but that's the thing is that the, what you reap from it seems to be far more than what you're putting in, right? Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And if you, if there's you one make, for the absolutely jar. Some place that's, we haven't done that today, so it's so good. And so, yeah, you're very welcome. Maybe next, year we can, <laughs> maybe next year we can go somewhere with all the money that we're putting into the tip jar. I do think, like, if we're putting money into the absolutely jar, like, we're sending kids to college and grad school. Like, I mean, talk about giving well, we're back ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're paying ourselves, but it's, uh, 
the one thing that I am truly grateful for was the opportunity to do this podcast with you, Kate. And it has been uh, this past year and everything. This was a dream. I think both of us, we've wanted to do this and to, to make it happen. It came about because I think of a number of, of things that happened this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was maybe this is talking about, you know, some bad things happened this year, but it, it propelled us to do good things. Yes. And yeah. Maybe that's where. And that's where, you know, I think the gratitude comes in, you know, that we were able to to do this sort of thing here. And I look forward to doing, uh, uh, you know, keep doing this podcast and going into 2024 and beyond you know, as long as the world is still here. Right. <laughs> there's people that. need to hear that because there's a doom and gloom again, right? So people need to hear that. But, you know, God willing, you know, inshallah, they will be all be here at the Well, I am, I am just as grateful. Yeah. I have really loved doing this with you. Uh, it's been, it has been something I've been very interested in for a long time and just knowing you and our conversations, it seemed so very right to do something like this. And I feel like we are putting some good out there, you know, and trying to, I, I just, I really, there's a creativity to this that I think is really cool. There's a level of scholarship as well, which kind of scratches an itch for me. But more than anything, getting to talk with you and our guests and just have such, you know, mind opening conversations is so fantastic. And I just feel like it's really elevated my quality of life. And so I'm, I'm just so very thankful. So thank you, Michael. No, thank you, Kate. And uh, also thank you, all of our listeners, the tens. The tens and elevens of, of them. Yep. <laughs> yes. The, as we say, the, the possible the baker's dozens that may be out there listening to us. We really appreciate you. And we hope that you will continue to listen to us and in going into the new year. And, uh, and also, we just hope that you have a grateful and wonderful holiday season. Absolutely. Happy holidays. Uh, <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of The Canary Group. If you like us, please subscribe and give us five stars on your favorite listening app. Have something you'd like us to dig into? You could reach us at info at canarygroup.org. You can also find us online at www.canarygroup.org and on social media at canarygroup.org.